Hey there, where you going? No, man, you got the right classroom. Come on in, take a seat beside me, my friend. Hey, look, here come T.A. Charlie. Let's see what he got to say. It would seem Charlie's missing. Hey where you? Oh, he put that on a loop. Charlie is gone. I don't know where he's at. Luckily, we have our AI in the background, but Charlie took the day off. Apparently, Gummy Bear, that's his wife, outranks me in, you know, in the terms of bossing him around. So he won't be with us today, which means no standard intro. We don't have a recording for that anymore. And if we do, I don't know where the heck it went. So we'll just have to kind of muddle our way through today. It also means that the phones won't be on today, folks, because... Charlie's not over there to monitor him. He's a, his station's on the other end of the room. I can't get to it. Um, so we won't, we won't be having that either. <laughs> so, uh, welcome to Teaching Tuesday. I do have a show for you today. I'm going to try to be serious with it because it's a bit of a sensitive topic, even for me. But we do hope that uh, uh, Charlie and his, his wife, Gummy Bear, are doing okay today. She's having, she got to go see the doc. It's not serious, but it's not just, you know, stick out your tongue. Ah. So we'll, we'll, we'll give you follow up on that. Um, Cause I know that they're both still suffering with whatever the heck crud they caught. No, it's not COVID folks, but they, they caught something down here just, you know, before COVID we did have this thing that everybody just called the crud. So, and I'm pretty sure that that's what they're dealing with. A lot of, a lot of that going around in our neighborhood here where we live. All right. Um, AI will be man manning the boards for me today because um, I'll be focused on what I'm doing. So if you have questions today, can't call them in, but please put them up on the board because we do have a rather sensitive topic today. And I, I don't want to be harsh toward anyone. Um, it, it, this is something that I've had to wrestle with for me and my own family and um, for a while. And we came to our own conclusions. I dug deeper into it over the weekend, deeper than I have in the past. And uh, I just want to share today with, with you what I have found. This is a, the today's show. I was going to do this Thursday as a conspiracy theory Thursday, but I learned enough now that I know it's not a conspiracy theory. This is about the war on Christmas, a, a specific aspect of it, the, the, the religious side. Well, I guess it's all religious, but we're going to be talking about the war on Christmas today, but m more more pointedly, not whether or not, you know, you should say Christmas or Xmas or not happy holidays and all that. No, 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 no. We're going to, we're going to be looking at the origins of Christmas. Um, the, the debate over whether or not Christmas is rooted in pagan practices and it's nothing new. In fact, it's quite ancient. Pagans and Christians have been fighting over who started the observance of this date and for what reasons since the third century. But the battle really heated up in the early mid of, uh, um, not fourth century, fourteenth century. But anyhow, four thousand four hundred years ago. Um, anyhow, fourteenth century. I, I missed a one there. Sorry. The historic record connected to Christmas it, it, it's convoluted, and if you uh, you go to your homework today, you will see a whole host of stuff that I found to share with you. This is the road to concord.com. 
And this is just a, a, a list of the partial list of the things that I found in going through this show for you today. And I've been through every bit of this. I've read through every one of those links. I watched that video. This is a whole section right here by my man, Dr. Heiser. Sadly to say, he's wrong on this point. Ugh. Anyhow, uh, and I mean, I can tell you he's wrong. But this video here is actually very, very interesting. The video itself is about an alternative way of dating the Messiah's birth. So that's worth watching. And then down here, the truth about Christmas, and there's a download here for a PDF file that normally it shows up when you when you click this, but it's not showing up today. This is about um, the presentation, you know, wh where we get Christmas from. Um, so we're going to be going over all of that. The slide presentation is also pretty darn good, too. That's It's down there at the very end of the show. We will uh, end of the homework assignment, rather. We'll, we'll take a quick look at that toward the end of a and to where we're at today. But the historic record is, is connected to Christmas is convoluted. Many key pieces of the puzzle are missing. And much of what does remain for us today is often contradictory or it's subjective in its interpretation, meaning depends on which side of this debate you're on as to what, what you make of the evidence. So how can we know what the truth, the capital T truth is of this issue? Or can we? Well, I think we can, but you know, we'll see how we manage to get on there. The purpose of this class, <clears throat> excuse me, is to attempt to bring some clarity to this confusing issue and to offer some scripture-based advice for believers who seek to align with Yahweh's word and not with the world. We are aware that this is a sensitive issue for many. We will do our best to keep this in mind, but ultimately, the road to Concord seeks capital T truth in all things, and we will not turn away from it when we find it, no matter how ugly that monster is. So with that said, let us share with you what we've discovered in researching this issue. And by the way, as just a little quick note, if you get into this, you're going to find plenty of Christian bashing. I'm not amongst that camp. Um, plenty of pagan bashing. I'm not amongst that camp plenty of a Christian apologetics saying, you know, it's okay. You just, whatever. We know that the reason for the season is Jesus. I'm afraid I'm not in that camp either, but we'll cover that tomorrow. Um, so this is an attempt to be sensitive to all people on every side of this topic. And it all starts here, folks, December 25th, the birthday of the sun. What? Yeah, 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 yeah. For real. Dies Natilis Solis Invicti, birthday of the invincible sun, December 25th. This is, that's, oh boy, let me tell you, this gets deep, quick, especially if you look into it. So before we can start with any of that, before we can fully understand this whole pagan Christian debate over the December 25th date, we need to understand why this date is so important to pagans. We know why December 25th is so important to Christians. Christians believe it's the birth date of the Messiah. But why is the same day, why is that day so important to pagan beliefs? The answer to that question lies here with the winter solstice. This is uh, worship of the, of the material things, the, the created world, the stars and the, and the sun and the moon and the planets, et cetera, et cetera. The winter solstice. I looked this up. This is from etymology.com. It says solstice is an old French word. It's derived from the Latin word solistium. 
and it means the point at which the sun seems to stand still. The winter solstice usually occurs between December 21st and 22nd, when the sun is at the zenith on the Tropic of Capricorn. In the Northern Hemisphere, this is the shortest day of the year. Historically, the three-day period surrounding the solstice was known as midwinter. Worldwide, interpretations of this celestial cycle differ. We're talking about religious interpretations. However, for most pagan religions, winter was viewed as the death of the sun, you know, because it goes away. There's so much darkness. And the solstice as a time of rebirth, marking the sun's resurrection and start of its return. Typically, the three-day period around the solstice was observed through festive gatherings, religious rituals, and other forms of celebration. These celebrations could happen anytime or on or near the solstice and often lasted for a period of days leading up to and including, including the actual date of the solstice. This is through all pagan religions. Therefore, the winter solstice is, an import, is important to pagan religions as important to them as, as the supposed date of the Messiah's birth to Christianity. It's because it's, it's marking the rebirth of their son or the sun god. You know, he, he wasn't defeated. So now let's let's return back to the invincible sun, the the Solus Invicti and Solus Invictus, invincible sun, sun invincible. Dies Natilis is the birthday of. It's December twenty fifth. This deals with Mithras. It's the Roman sun god. It is believed that the start of sun worship began in Persia or possibly Babylon. There's a dispute over that. Sometime around fourteen hundred BC probably even earlier from what I read, but this is what a lot of the, what we would call secular uh, archaeologists and historians, this is the accept, accepted age range that I found in my studies. The Romans revived their version of sun god worship sometime between the first and fourth century AD after, after Christ. At this time, the Roman sun god's name was Mithras, and he was the son of the highest god, Jupiter. So a lot of folks who don't believe in the Bible look at this and they say, well, look, the Bible stole this, you know, from the Romans, Jupiter being Yahweh and the sun God Mithras being Jesus. No, 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 no. It's the other way around. But that's a, that, again, that's a Wednesday show. The Romans believed that Mithras was the invincible sun God, Sol Invictus, and celebrated his birthday on December 25th. Thus, many pagans and some fundamentalist Christians believe that the date of December 25th was either stolen from or chosen to replace the pagan holiday. Christians object to the idea that this is what's going on. <clears throat> Excuse me. Many Christians point to early church records, which claim to have calculated a December 25th date for the birth of the Messiah long before the Romans had revived Sol Evictus. Well, we'll get to that in a moment. Houston. We have two problems. You know, Houston, we have a problem. No, 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 no. We've got two problems here, Houston. First, and perhaps the least problematic here, at least for the Christian perspective, is that a diligent search of all available records will show that the early church had calculated dates for the Messiah's birth in all 12 months, 13 months, depending on which calendar you're using, of the year. What? Yeah, 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 yeah. The early church had found Christ's birthday in every month of the year. It depended on who was calculating it, how they were calculating it, what they're. So this idea that it's December 25th is going to be a bit of a problem. 
because I could find a date in every month. That leaves us with the problem of determining how or why the church finally settled on the date of December. And like I said here, we will return to this issue shortly. We have a bigger problem that must be tackled before we bother with the calculations of the Messiah's birth. But real fast, if you're interested in this, the links that I put in your homework today are not every one of the articles I read. It's just the ones that were best documented. Or in some cases, you're going to find a, a post in there from a pagan site that said, hey, December 25th is a pagan holiday. Get over it already. It's attacking Christians. You're also going to find articles in there from the Catholic Church and from websites that support Catholicism. You're going to find some articles in there from Protestant Christians. You're going to find a few things in there from like Wikipedia and whatever else. One of the sites I put in there for you, one of the links, it's a, from the Roman Catholicism. It's an official Catholic site. Oh, good googly moogly. They go through all the dates that were originally celebrated as the Messiah's birthday. It's long, and that's part of the problem. If you're a Christian and you say, hey, look, man, we calculated this. Yeah, you did, and it landed in January, April, May, June, July, February, March, September, October, November, December. So how did you decide on December? You're not going to find any reasoning in the in, in not in the roman catholic not in the eastern orthodox you know what was at one time the eastern catholic the byzantine you're not going to find anything in the records that tells you why they did this there is a, a claim that it's one of the early popes julius or something or other that he did it but then you're going to find people who claim no there's no record of that from the pope's letters and writings but then there'll be and this is all church documentation this is not people outside the church i'm talking to you about then there's going to be people within the church that say, no, we don't have anything with the Pope's writing on it, but we have this church father referencing Julian's writings saying that this is where he, why he put it. So you have a reference to a reference within the church, but this is what I'm saying. A lot of the record is missing and contradictory and subjective. It depends on how you read it. Okay, so this is a huge mess for those of us who care about this. A lot of people don't. Oh, if you claim the name Christian, you'd better. We'll get into that tomorrow. We'll touch on it today, but we'll get into it deep and heavy tomorrow. But for today, we're trying to do, you know, we're at school and the teacher gave us an assignment. Figure this out. Okay. This is going to be a mess. So I've done a lot of, in, a lot of reading on this. And this is not new to me. I've gone through this three or four times now, but over the weekend, boy, I dug into this one for you. So. Soul of Victus may not be the earliest Roman connection to December 25th. Okay, why is that? Uh, why is that important? Because Christians say, in one of the links that we'll get to in a minute, they say that Christmas was established before the sun god, you know, in, in, in the Saul Invictus or whatever. And not so fast. Eo Saturnalia, hail Saturn or whatever. Blah, blah, blah. What, what what the heck is this? Many of us have never even heard of this. Hey, newsflash, they still celebrate this today. Pagan communities still celebrate Eosaturnalia. And you can look it up. Eosaturnalia is Saturn 
who is Jupiter's father. Remember, Jupiter in the first, second, third, fourth century, that's the king god. That's the biggest god. Well, before that, the Romans believed Saturn was the, the highest god. So now you got the highest god, and then you got the highest above the highest god god. I mean, this is this this stuff gets crazy quick. But anyhow, Saturn it was Jupiter's father. And remember, Mithras was the son of Jupiter. So that's Saturn's grandson, I guess. And he was king of the gods before Jupiter became the final king of the gods. It was believed by Romans that life during the reign of Saturn was peaceful, that there was no difference between gods and men, and likewise, no difference between masters and slaves. In remembrance of this time, Romans had a festival called Saturnalia. The slaves were given freedom and all were uh, was brought to a halt for the all work was brought to a halt and wars as well for the duration of the holiday. Saturn, god of harvest and the sun, celebration of the harvest in the winter solstice between December 18th and 25th was the final feast of December 25th. Large sun hung in the house, exchange of gifts, fruit cake with a coin hidden in it, Rex or Regenia Cerevorum. And then this is the, where they get to some of this stuff um, into it. I went and I brought up Wikipedia on this because I was like, what the heck? And Wiki's usually pretty good for this type of thing. So here's what Wiki tells us. Although probably the best known Roman holiday, Saturnalia as a whole is not described from beginning to end in any single ancient source. Like I said, this is one of our problems. Modern understanding of the festival has pieced together from several accounts dealing with various aspects of it. Saturnalia was at the dramatic setting of the multi-volume work of, of that name by Macrobius, a Latin writer from late antiquity, who is the major source for information about this holiday. Macrobius describes the reign of Justinus, King Saturn that is, as a time of great happiness, both on account of the universal plenty that prevailed and because as yet there were no divisions into bond and free, as one many gathered, may gather from the complete license enjoyed by slaves at Saturnalia. In Lucutian's Saturnalia, it is Kronos himself who proclaims a festive season when tis lawful to be drunken and slaves have license to revile their lords. Kronos would be Father Time. In one of the interpretations in Macrobius's work, Saturnalia is a festival of light leading to the winter solstice with the abundant presence of candles symbolizing the quest for the knowledge of truth. Folks, this is all important imagery here. The renewal of light and the coming of the new year was celebrated in the later Roman Empire at the Dies Natilis Solis Invicti, the birthday of the unconquerable sun, the invincible sun on December 25th. So it is very likely that Solus Invictus is a continuation of Saturnalia, just in a different form, which would mean it predates Christianity and Christmas. So the popularity of Saturnalia continued into the 3rd and 4th centuries. And as the Roman Empire came under Christian rule, many of its customs were recast into at least influ into or at least influenced the seasonal celebrations surrounding Christmas in the new year. So you go to your homework and you will find this page here on Saturnalia by the history channel. And it goes over what his Saturnalia is and how the Romans celebrated it, which is very interesting. A lot of your customs for Christmas started here, the temple of Saturn and Saturnalia customs, how Saturnalia led to Christmas and is Christmas a pagan holiday. And then it gives you its sources. 
So you can go over that at your leisure after class is over. That's in your homework. Okay. There's several things in there about Saturnalia. So where are we at so far? You know, you know what do we have? Well, first things first, the information available to us so far in this class, from what I've found, it's not definitive. But then that's not the point. We don't know what came first. We don't know why Christmas is on December 25th. That's not the point. The point at the matter is twofold. One, the Roman practice of sun god worship under the name of Sol Invictus may well have been a continuation of previous practices, Saturnalia in this case. If so, then the connection to the winter solstice predates Christianity, not to mention Christmas itself. That's going to be a problem for Christians who claim that they did not put Christmas in December to combat paganism. It's also going to be a problem for Christians who claim that Christianity did not steal that holiday from the pagans, as the pagans claim. Many pagans say this, okay? And we, you still have pagans today. You have pagan churches and con congregations. You have one out in California, and I found their online from 2017, 2019, I think it was. I found their online invite to, you know, Eos Saturnalia to their party and their festival. So it's still active, and it's actually growing now. The second problem we have here is even if Christmas was not a deliberate attempt to replace a pagan holiday, there is ample evidence to suggest many pagan customs were adopted into the customs surrounding the Christian observance of Christmas. Either way, the history surrounding Christmas is problematic for those wishing to be faithful to scriptural teachings. You can't just adopt anything you want and now claim it is Christian. That goes against scripture, which is going to be the subject for tomorrow's Worship Wednesday's class. Where are we at so far? What we do have so far at this point is sufficient evidence to know that if you're Christian, you have a little bit of a problem. In fact, by right and reason, by right, meaning by justification, I have this right, and by reasoning alone, using logic and what we've learned so far, and by clear scriptural command, if you're a Bible believer and you know your Bible, we could end our investigation right here. And that's that'll be the subject of tomorrow's class. Why could I end it here? That's what we're going to discuss tomorrow. However, because we want to be fair and thorough, we return to the history of the Christian holiday known as Christmas. The first Christmas. Man, that's that little manger scene that we're all used to right now, right? Well, be careful with this. We're going to return to this picture in a little bit. That picture right there is full of problems. If you understand what you're seeing, we'll get to that in a bit. From Catholic.org, the origin of the word Christmas, okay, and more. This is more than just the origin of Christmas. The word for Christmas in late Old English is uh, Christus Masse. Um see yep i got the right page up okay the mass of christ first found in 1038 in christus messa in 1131 in dutch in da 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 we'll go through all of that and then they dispute the word yule the origin of the word yule and everything else and we'll we'll get into that in a bit okay early celebrations christmas was not among the earliest festivals of the church iranius and tertullian omit it from the lists of feasts 
Irenaeus, you know, he wrote against heresies. He's a really important early church father, you know, after the apostles have, have died, been martyred. Irenaeus is one of the most important people who take over. Oregon, glancing perhaps at the discreditable imperial Natalia, asserts that in the scriptures, sinners alone, not saints, celebrate their birthday. Uh, we'll cover that in more detail tomorrow, but I don't care where he gets it from. He's pretty much correct on that. Um, then what we have here from, well, before we go there, let me bring you over here to your homework. This is the page I was quoting from just now. This is from um, Catholic.com. Gives you the origins of the word. And right here in the area that I've highlighted, it tells you that no, Christmas was not an early Christian celebration. Didn't start until sometime in, in the latter beginning of the fourth century. It goes over the first evidence of a feast. This is going to be in Egypt, et cetera, et cetera. And this is where I told you, this is the page where you're going to go over dates and dates and dates. This is all, and I mean, intricate, detailed listings of all the ideas of where the first Christmas came from and in Rome. And it, I mean, it is convoluted. This is Catholicism is telling us, you know, one of the oldest church records that we have is telling us, oh, hello. Well, then why are you claiming December 25th? Well, what happens is they list all these dates and all these people talking about it. And then they go, well, we justify it this way. That's subjective justification. Logically, that's a problem. It's a fallacy. You've chosen a date when there's information that tells you you're wrong. In fact, the Catholics justify December 25th in the face of a couple of other Catholic holidays, which directly contradict each other. That is a huge problem. And we'll get to those as well. Just hang with me here. We're trying to go through this slow, careful, easy, and systematically. From Christianity.com, the first recorded celebration of Christmas. It says, today in Christmas day, is Christmas Day, Christmas Mass, but for the first 300 years of Christianity, it wasn't so. When was Christmas first celebrated? In an old list of Roman bishops compiled in 354 AD, these words appear for AD 336, 25 December, Natus Christus in Bethlehem, Judea. December 25th, Christus born in Bethlehem, Judea. This day, December 25th, 336, is the first recorded celebration of Christmas. So, 336. Well, Sol Invictus was 247 AD like about a hundred years before this. So the pagans can say, Hey, look, we've been here before you, you took it from us. And we're going to see in a minute that because Christians say, well, the birth date was listed before then, like in 140 something, that means they took it from us. Well, you weren't celebrating Christmas then Christians. And I don't use this derogatorily. I, I got no other way to use this language, pagans, Christians. Okay. So just accept this as just a linguistic format for making communications easier. There's no value judgment in the words I'm using, even for pagans or Christians. It's just, the, it's a title we have to use today. So for the first 300 years of the church's existence, birthdays were not given much emphasis, not even on the birth of Christ. The day on which a saint died was considered more significant than his or her birth as it ushered him or her into the kingdom of heaven. Christ's baptism received more attention than the birth in January 6th feasts of Epiphany. This is, this is important. By the way, 
the emphasis on a prophet's death or a saint's death. That's Jew, what we would think of as Jewish in nature. That's Old Testament thinking. And yes, the early church was more worried about that because they were still connected to their Old Testament Hebrew roots. Okay. So that's important to us. If, if we want to, you know, if we care about such things and if you'll go to your homework, you'll find, there it is, Christianity.com. I come down here and then there it's today. Today, today is Christmas because this was written on uh, October 23rd, 2020. I guess it was going to be published then, you know, Christmas 2020 and it admits all this and it goes through when was he born? When was Jesus born and the origin of Christmas traditions? And it goes through its own version of this story. And right here, you'll see it's got footnoted. Gives you all its documentation and its sources. I try not to use too many sites for you today that um, aren't cited and sourced. Uh, I'm trying hard to do solid sound scholarship here, so, solid research. So back from Christianity.com, then we're going to go to this one. This is from touchstone.com. This website here, if Toward, excuse me, toward the end of uh, your homework, you're going to find an article, a couple of articles by Dr. Heiser. He references this article in one of Dr. Heiser's article references this one. We'll get to this in a minute. There's a huge problem with this, and I'll, I'll explain here as we go through. But from Touchstone, it says calculating Christmas. Many Christians think that Christians celebrate Christ's birth on December 25th because the church fathers appropriated the date of a pagan festival. Almost no one minds, except for a few groups on the fringes of American evangelism who seem to think that this makes Christmas itself a pagan festival. Uh, hold on to that. This gentleman is talking, and this is a Christian magazine, online magazine. He says, nobody really minds amongst Christianity about Christmas. Oh, nay, nay. Mm -mm. Ah, now he's, this is loaded language here. He says, fringes of American evangelism. That's ad hominem. That that basically he's insulting people who read the scriptures and follow scripture as opposed to the traditions of man. He's insulting them. And he he seems to think, you know, that they're crazy for thinking Christmas itself is is associated with paganism. Before the end of this show, you might come back to this article and say, Yeah, Mr. William Teague, you might want to reevaluate your position here. And if Dr. Heiser were still alive, I'd like to suggest that he do so too. But anyway, Mr. T continues, he says, but it is perhaps interesting to note that the choice of December 25th is the result of attempts among the earliest Christians to figure out the date of Jesus's birth based on calendrical calculations that had nothing to do with pagan festivals. Well, that's true. They were trying to calculate the date of his birth and it had nothing to do with pagan festivals. It was about Easter. They wanted to know when he was born because Easter was the most important thing. This, the crucifixion was Passover. Well, that was the most important thing to early Christians, his death, okay? Because that's that's what is ushered in the, the new covenant. So that's why they were looking for that. So this article continues. He says, rather, the pagan festival of the birth of the unconquered son instituted by the Roman emperor Aurelian on 25 December 274 was almost certainly an attempt to create a pagan alternative to a date that was already of some significance to Roman Christians. Thus, the pagan origins of Christmas is a myth without historical substance. That is factually wrong. We've already covered that. Um, the birthday of the unconquered son was probably 
a continuation of Saturnalia, more than likely. And we have good reason to believe this. So, and even if it isn't, this claim here that the pagans stole it, no, no, no. The pe pagans have been celebrating the solstice since long before Christianity existed. Um, in fact, the solstice is still an argument within a lot of these fundamentalist um, Christian congregations now. You know, the Hebrew Roots Movement? <laughs> Boy, you want to start an argument, bring that up in there about how you date the calendar. But that's for Friday's show. This is the article that this just came from calculating Christmas. And I highlighted these two parts that we had read. You come down here, it says it's a mistake to think that this has got anything to do with paganism or the paganization of Christianity. It says it's all doing is a, it's a byproduct of product of trying to date Christ's birth when he was born. Well, yes and no. This is where things start to get really interesting. And we're going to cover that here as soon as I juggle these screens around. This is what I found. What have we learned so far? Let's let's summarize real quick here. Summary. First, there is convincing evidence that the Romans held pagan worship service in connection to the winter solstice before the time of Christ. That is almost certainly a hard fact. Close enough to being a hard fact that we're going to put that in the factual column here to do the logic. So, was it Solovictus, Saturnalia? I don't care. Not the point. There were pagan worship services, you know, hol holidays in and around the winter solstice before the time of Christ. There is evidence suggesting that these practices continued, albeit in a different form, after the rise of Christianity. Well, we know that Saturnalia was still around in the first, second, third, fourth century. We know that Solovictus was going on at that time. We don't know if, you know, the Unconquered Sun was a continuation of Saturnalia or just another pagan byproduct or parallel. We don't know. But we do know that this is going on after the rise of Christianity all the way up to about the Council of Nicaea. That's a fact. Point number three, the church claims pagans appropriated the date to try to replace Christian holidays of Christmas. Okay. We have all of this stuff going on continuously in Rome from about two, three, four hundred BC to about three, four hundred AD. We don't have the first recorded Christmas until 330 something AD. The church cannot substantiate this claim without spinning the facts. So we're going to claim that number three, the church's claims are unsubstantiated. You, you cannot, that's an unsupported assertion. That's a fallacy. You can claim, well, because we're talking about all these dates that had us before, you know, you, that means we're here before. No, 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 we've already looked. And even in the Christian Catholic, Catholic, Roman Catholic's own website, catholic.com, they show you all these different dates in different parts of the world. And none of those dates agree. They're not the same. They, they range in a two to 300 year period and they have Christ's birthday in every month of the year. The first Christmas, and it's not even called Christmas yet. According to the Catholic, you know, Catholic.com, the first Christmas we see isn't until the next century, you know, uh, next millennium, thousand something AD. So what we have is an unsupported assertion where you have to go take the facts and start spinning them. Point number four. Christmas came about as a result of trying to calculate the birth date of Messiah in relation to his crucifixion date. 
Mm, again, maybe. If you've calculated it and you've landed in all 12 different months, how do you choose one over the other? Again, this is a subjective, probably retroactive explanation of why they chose December 25th. Number three is false. Number four is questionable, unsupportable. So number five, the historic record and available evidence are insufficient. This is our conclusion. Number five is our conclusion to this point. The historic record and available evidence are insufficient to resolve this issue satisfactorily once and for all. As crucial pieces of evidence are missing and what evidence remains is subjective and contradictory. So what do we do now, huh? Well, that's easy. First, let's look at how the church calculated the birth date of the Messiah and how and why the church most likely miscalculated. This is actually easy to understand. All you need, everything you need to know is actually in the scriptures already. You just have to read them from the perspective of a very scripturally literate, Torah-observant Hebrew. What do I mean by that? I quite literally mean that back in the ancient times, first, second century, a Jewish rabbi would have had a better chance of dating the Messiah's birth than a Christian. And that's because the Jewish rabbi is going to see things in the Gospels that you and I don't, or most of us don't. All right. First thing we have to do here, we have to acknowledge something I didn't put in the slideshow. And this is what I'm talking about. If you're a Jew, and, I, and I'm just going to say Jew because most people understand it this way. But what I really mean is Torah observant Hebrew. But if you're a Jew, the, the prophet is seemed to have died on the same day he was born. That, 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 that goes back eons. It's in the rabbinical writings. It's a tradition that all prophets, great prophets, die on the same day they're born. They, they do this with Noah and, and everybody else, Moses, all of this stuff. So if you're a Jew, you're looking for the day that you're, you know, the day you die is going to be the day you're born. So this would be why they're looking for the Messiah's birthday in conjunction with um, his crucifixion. The problem is early Christians didn't understand this. They thought that, that it meant his conception. So you need to find his conception, and that'll be, you know, important to the day he died. Okay, stop right there. That's, stop right there. Let's use reason. The Christian church has never questioned Easter, okay? And I don't like Easter, but for the sake of clarification of understanding that, Easter is in the spring, March, April, right? That's the day Christ gets crucified. That's the day he dies. What month is that? The third or fourth month, right? How the heck was he conceived in December? Well, he's not going to be conceived in December. So maybe he was born then. Well, if you're hunting for his birth date, because it's supposed to be somehow connected to when he dies, why are you going to put it in December when you're telling me he died on Easter? Wouldn't his birth date be around Easter? Because this is what the, if you go into it, if you go through all the links I've given for you, there's the big argument over that. And, and we're going to go through the slideshow in a little bit as part of our wrap-up here. And they go over this. So this is where some of the calculations are coming from. This is where they start from. This is going to get convoluted real quick, especially if you're not um, scripturally... If, if you don't know the Torah, if you haven't studied the Old Testament really well, this is going to get crazy quick. 
The Gospel of Luke gives us the clues we need to calculate the date of the Messiah's birth. But you have to know the Tanakh, Old Testament, and you have to know the Tanakh well and the Law of Moses. If you know the Tanakh and the Law of Moses, then you can easily place the date of the Messiah's birth on or around the 30th of Av or 1st of Elul by the timing of Mary's purifications and the Messiah's dedication at the temple. Av and Elul? Yeah. Sometime around probably um, mid-August, early to mid-August is when they're saying he'd be born using the information in Luke about, it says Mary waited until the time of purification. Well, for a male son, that's 40 days. But we also know he was dedicated on the eighth day. He had his circumcision. So she's close to Jerusalem. She's taking him to the temple to be dedicated to the Lord per Torah. All firstborn males are dedicated to Yahweh at the temple. You have to travel to the temple and dedicate him on the day of purification. So if you're living in Israel, you got 40 days to get your butt to Jerusalem. And Israel's small enough that you can actually do that. So that's part of where they're calculating. Well, if you do that, you're putting his birth sometime in August, what we would think of as August. Okay, that's in the scriptures. That's scriptural. We can use the Bible for that. The next thing we, that we're going to have, um, let's see, is the Gospel of Luke gives us yet another clue that can help us to date the season in which Messiah was likely born. Season. Not the day, but the season. But you, again, you have to know the Tanakh. And if you know the Tanakh, the Old Testament, and the Law of Moses, then you can easily place this season of the Messiah's birth on or around the fall feast because of the story of John the Baptist and his father. I didn't go into great detail here. You have several links in your homework that detail this. John the Baptist, he's a Levite. He's born into the priestly family. He technically was probably supposed to be the high priest at the time of Jesus. The Caiaphas took over. We don't know for sure. This is convoluted. They think that, you know, he's a Levite of the house of Aaron. There's some there's some dispute there. But the point here is John's father was a priest, and he is told that he's going to have his son while he's in the temple doing his regular service. If you understand that there are, there are 12, uh, let's say there are five or something cycles, there, there are cycles with the priesthood. They're, they're, David broke them up into little groups. And they, they serve the temple every so so long in a, in a cycle twice a year. Well, we know what group, um, his name was Zechariah. John's father's name is Zechariah. We know what group he's in. So we know what time of the year he should be serving the temple. The Old Testament tells us this. Knowing the Tanakh, the Old Testament, and the Law of Moses, we know when his father should be there. His father should have been in the temple either at Passover or at the fall feasts. So if he was told he was going to have a son at Passover, his son's going to probably be born at the time of the fall feast. And if he was told in Passover, I mean, in the fall feast, his son's going to be born at the time of Passover in the spring. Either way, depending on how you want to count this, either way, that's not a December birth date. Now, there's nothing in the Bible that tells us for sure which way we go with this, but it does tell us it's either going to be Passover or the fall feasts. Aaron Spike says, I listened to Jonathan Kahn tell when the birth of Yeshua was, and he believes it occurred during Passover because the shepherds were keeping watch and they were sacrificing lambs of a year old. 
shepherds were keeping watch for the birth of lambs and supposedly happens only one time a year. Uh, yeah, I understand that, Aaron. Um, the problem with that one is we're assuming they were keeping watch for the birth of the lambs. We're also, if she was in Bethlehem when Yeshua was born, that's close enough that these could be the flocks that were raised intended for temple sacrifices, which are always going to be in the fields. And they will be big flocks because there are a lot of sacrifices on a daily basis at the temple. So we've assumed things there that may not should be assumed. So where we're at right now is, <clears throat> excuse me, Mary's purification could put us real close to somewhere in early August. And Zechariah's, you know, the father of John the Baptist would put us either at the spring or the fall feasts. The point here, folks, is not December. We don't need the exact date. What we need is not December. Now there's a very big one coming up. And this is the video, Dr. Heiser, in the end of your toward the end of your homework. This is pretty. This is beautiful. It's not definitive, but this is really good. There's a third clue as to the timing of the Messiah's birth in the book of Revelation. This is found in the picture of the woman clothed with the sun, pregnant with child, with the dragon at her feet, ready to devour the child. If we take this as a literal picture of the stars and the planets in the sky, we can narrow the date and time of the Messiah's birth to a 90-minute window on September 11th, 3 BC. A 90-minute window on September 11th, 3 BC. That's the fall feasts. Incidentally, the next time we see this was on September 11th, 2017. Yeah. Make of that what you will. Comment on the board from Marianne. I have a question. If he was born around one of the feasts, would it not have been mentioned the name of the feast? Yes, it does, Marianne. The fall feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles is when Yahweh comes to dwell amongst his people. What does Emmanuel mean? It means God is with us. Yahweh is with us. He was born on the Feast of Tabernacles when Yahweh is with us. That's what this arrangement in the sky would tell us. And in the book of Romans, Paul says that the rest of the world has no excuse for they know that the gospel has gone out to all the world. You know, the announcement of the, the birth of the royal king, you know, the heavenly king. Emmanuel, Prince of Peace, what Paul's probably talking about is this right here. He's talking about the picture in the sky. Because back in their time, reading the stars for signs from the gods, that was important. That was as important as us watching the news or the football updates every year, you know, every day. That's how we see things. That would, that's how important that would have been to everybody in the, in the ancient world back then, watching the sky. So Paul is writing in the Romans telling everybody, you have no excuse. The whole world knows that a royal heavenly king was born. Knows what day it was, too. Dr. Heiser covers this in great detail for you. Um, there's even one of his podcasts you can follow through. He's very good at this. But what we have now is, and then speaking of what she said, the feasts. The Messiah's life is pinned to every one of the feasts. The Passover is when he's crucified. First fruits is when he's resurrected. Um, the, the counting of the Omer is Pentecost when he, you know, Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, that period in, in between is that 40 days counting of the Omer then 50 day with the Jubilee sets you free. All, all of these things in the feast cycle of the old Testament are connected to the Messiah's physical life on earth. So he will probably also, he'll probably return 
on the fall feasts when he comes. Cause then that, you know, God is with us and then immediately followed by day of atonement, which is, you know, make up for everything. And then day of judgment, you know, so yeah, days of awe and everything, all of this is connected. So that also speaks to either a spring or fall birth, not December. That's the point, not December. The early church knows this. So problem solved, right? There we have it. Scripture tells us the Messiah was born spring or fall. Well, not so fast, my friends. We got something else going on here. There are problems with all three of those scriptural calculations for the Messiah's birth. There are. There, there, there are issues with all three of them. The best we conclude, though, the best that we can do, is that all three scriptural signs point to or possibly point to a September-ish birth date, fall. The only one that has an exception to that is possibly Passover, depending on when Zechariah, you know, John the Baptist's father was serving. But I personally tend to lend toward somewhere in in September around um, the Feast of Tabernacles. But either way, the point, the point for our discussion, not December. But this is not new information either. The church has known about these clues in the Bible since the first century. What? Yeah. The problem is anti-Jewish sentiment and the influences of Constantine and the pagan traditions of Rome all combined, in my opinion, to influence the selection of December 25th as the date of his birth. You can find proof of this here. Feast of the Immaculate Conception. If you're not Roman Catholic, you may have never heard of this. This is important. Pay attention, boys and girls. I'm about to show you something that the Catholic Church knows about. The Catholic Church, in that post that I've given you and shared with you, explains why December 25th must be the Messiah's birthday. We know this is a fact. This is why I was chosen. December 25th, Catholic Church, Roman Catholic Church. They also celebrate the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Same Roman Catholic Church. This, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, is one of the mandatory observed days in the ecclesiastical calendar in the Holy Roman Catholic Church. In other words, all Catholics have to recognize and keep this holy day, right? Well, from Wikipedia, Feast of the Immaculate Conception, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception celebrates the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary on 8 December, nine months before the Feast of the Nativity Mary on 8 September, in one of the most important Marie, you know, Mary feasts in the liturgi liturgical calendar of the Roman Catholic Church, in other words, official calendar. Uh, what? Okay, let's clarify this. The Holy Roman Catholic Church says you must keep the the blessed, you know, the, the Immaculate Conception on 8 December. And then the, the, the Nativity Scene Feast on 8 September, the fall, the fall feasts. When they're saying he's born, he was conceived on 8 December, he's born on 8 September, but his birthday is December 25th. Anybody do the math on that for me? I got it. Conceived on the 8th of December, real fast gestation period. I'm sure every woman in the world is jealous of this because three weeks later he's born. So none of that first, second, third, third trimester stuff for months on end. You get a baby in three weeks and then he's reborn again, you know, 
got to be baptized to be reborn again on September 8th, right? I'm being facetious here on purpose because the Catholic Church knows darn well he was not born in December, and yet they're justifying a December 25th date of the Messiah to say that they didn't choose that date to fight a pagan holiday. And yet we know they did exactly that with Halloween. Were you here for the Halloween show? Well, Joe, no, that was all Hallow's Eve. Yeah, that used to be in May. When it was first started, it was in May. They moved it to October, 1st of November, really, to combat um, Samhain, the Irish Halloween, the Celtic practice of Halloween, which, by the way, is connected to Druids. And, oh, yeah, by the way, Druids are going to enter into the story again today in the second hour of this show. And remember, the Druids are more than likely connected to the apostate northern kingdom of Israel. Oh, boy. Things are getting really convoluted right now, huh? So if you can figure out how the Catholic Church does the math on this, I'd really love to hear it from you because I can't figure that one out. Conclusions at this point. It is possible to determine the likely date range for the Messiah's birth from Scripture alone. Yes, it is. You don't need to do anything with the shepherds in the field. Pay attention to those things that Luke tells us connected to the Torah and the purification period, the dedication of children, firstborn males. Pay attention to John the Baptist's story about his father, who his father is, and how the priests serving the temple cycle through. You'll find that in the stories about David. And then pay attention to the Yahweh's cycle of, cycle of feasts they're all connected to the Messiah's uh, ministry and service and sacrifice and reign here on earth in the flesh. So we have the early church knows all of this. The evidence is even found in the Roman Catholic Church's liturgical calendar, which we just showed you. Therefore, this is the conclusion I'm going to make right now, especially given the fact that we know as a fact that we do have the Pope's letter telling the bishop to Ireland, hey, go ahead and just move things around and adopt their practices. Just get those pagans to quit practicing for the pagans and come over here to the to the Catholic side. And, and I know the letter didn't say it that way, but we've actually read the letter here. Go back to the show that we did on Halloween it, or, or go to your homework, look it up. The letter is in one of the links. The Pope's letter is in one of the links. And this is essentially what he's telling the bishop. Just incorporate Halloween into All Saints Day. Well, All Saints Day was November 1st, and they incorporated Halloween into it and just said, well, that's the eve before All Saints Day. See how we did that? Okay. Well, given the fact that we know that the church will do that in the future, it's highly likely that in spite of all objections to the contrary, the early church chose December 25th in order to combat pagan observances on or about the winter solstice. And it is very likely that Constantine may have had a hand. I don't, I got to go look at the dates. He may have had a hand in this. I know Constantine is the reason that you're celebrating the Sabbath on Sunday. I know that is a fact. And I also know that the Catholic Church, in their records, they say they moved it to Sunday to prove that the Catholic Church has authority over the Bible. Oopsie. Yeah, that's a popal decree. And you'll find that all throughout the Roman Catholics archives. And that's another class. But if men are claiming to be over the Bible, I'm getting away from them. It's a lot to get really hot and flashy light and lots of big peeling thunder around wherever they're at at some point in time. Don't want to be there. So where are we at right now? 
just just right now, with what we have, what's available to us with the conflicting records and everything, the most likely conclusion, the best conclusion to be drawn with what we have available to us is that the church chose December 25th on purpose, especially given the fact that the observance of the Immaculate Conception goes back to about the 6th or 7th century. That's where it started, depending on where you're at. So you start Christmas in the 4th century, and you start this Immaculate Conception thing a couple hundred years later, and you already knew. There's evidence in the records I showed you that they knew that the Messiah was probably born on or around Pen, uh, the Passover or the fall feasts, the Feast of, of Tabernacles. The church knows this, and the, the scriptures support that. So everything's pointing to a spring or fall birth, everything. Everything we have that's objective, everything we have that's connected to scripture and not the traditions of men. So why December 25th? Because they wanted to combat Saul Evictus and Saturnalia. That is the most likely conclusion. In which case, the holiday of Christmas is definitely connected to, to pagan practices, just like Halloween is. Now, that doesn't mean you made it a pagan holiday or took it from the pagans or whatever. It means it's connected to it. Understand? We're using clear, concise, you know, precise language. We're, we're saying what we mean and mean what we say. It's connected. That doesn't mean it is a pagan holiday or does it we'll have to address that tomorrow we're going to go to the break when we come back i want to go over some of the specific claims about christmas traditions incorporating pagan practices this is where it starts to get really important if you're a christian if you call yourself by the lord's name and you say you believe in the bible this next part gets to be really important so the second hour of this show is going to set up tomorrow's show on worship wednesday i hope you will be in your seats in six minutes when we return from the break because the next part to me is the most important part this first part was easy this was just a whole lot of reading to get all as many pieces of the puzzle as you could from all different players and i read a lot more than what i put in your homework assignment a couple of dozen websites well actually 40 or 50 different websites man it, it hurt my head when i was done with it but then you put all the pieces on the table and you pull out your old logic brain, and you're like, okay, well, what does this tell me? Well, I know that the Romans were practicing pagan worship services around the solstice, you know, the winter solstice, long before Christianity ever came around. And all the way up through the 4th century AD. And I know that the Christians were well aware that the Messiah was born either around Passover or Feast of, the, of uh, Tabernacles, spring or the fall. And they recognized that in the Feast of the Immaculate Conception in the Holy Nativity. And they had calculated dates for birth in every month of the year. So they had no nothing over the other. The only thing that they have that lend, lends credence to when he was conceived or whatever else or when he's born is going to be Scripture. Scripture points to either a spring or more than likely fall birth. So everything that the Bible has, everything that a believer has points to that. and yet. And the church recognizes it in two of its mandatory liturgical, you know, it's church legal speak. <laughs> we froze. <laughs> I'm over the target. Church legal speak. Everything says more than likely fall birth, maybe spring. Why did they choose December? Most likely case is they did that to combat pagan practices. 
That's the logical conclusion. Is it bulletproof? No. Is it something that I'm going to sit on? You bet your bottom bippy. So let's go with this break song today. Something Charlie doesn't play all that often. We'll be back in six minutes and we'll continue with the part that I think is most important for believers to be paying attention to. See you in six.
Okay, we're back. And before we get to that, let's cover things real quick here. Aaron Spikes comment on the board. Christ's death and resurrection date are more important than any day when he was born. That is correct, sir. And then a comment from Marianne Boatwright. It says, same math is in the number of days and three nights, but crucified on a Friday. You know, days in the earth. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's actually part of the problem here. Um, some of the calculation times about when Christ was born goes on the assumption that he was crucified on a Friday because, you know, Good Friday. Uh, no, he was crucified on a Wednesday, and we know that as a fact from Scripture. We did a show on that um, in the spring of this year when we did the show on um, Passover. Just like people are like, well, was the Last Supper, you know, was that a Passover meal? Yes, Scripture says it was. And the scriptures tell you the timeline right there if you're paying attention to them. And we did a show on that that proved beyond shadow of a doubt he had to be crucified on a Wednesday, rose at sunset on what we would think of as a Saturday at the end of the Sabbath. Uh, three full days and three full nights in the ground. It's in the scriptures. And we went through that one using nothing but the scriptures. But you have to know the Torah. If you don't know the Old Testament, especially the law of Moses, you won't see it because you're going to have the traditions of men in your head. So traditions of men, perfect segue here. You remember just a little while ago, we were reading one of the, the articles, Dr. Heiser even cites it, says, you know, nobody really objects to the pagan connections of Christmas except for a few fringe radicals in the Christian world, right? Okay. Let's go over the history of Christmas in America, okay? This this website, this link is in your show notes. You'll find it. Um, you'll find the story. This is taken from theweek.com. It says, when Americans banned Christmas, it was by the staff of this or, or mag, or online magazine, January 8th, 2015. And I'm going to read several paragraphs from it. This is, how did the first seller, sell, uh, settlers, first settlers to America, celebrate Christmas. They didn't. The pilgrims who came to America in 1620 were strict Puritans with firm views on religious holidays such as Christmas and Easter. Scripture did not name any holidays except the Sabbath, they argued, and the very concept of holy days implied that some days were not holy. They for, uh, they for whom all days are holy can have no holy days or holidays was a common Puritan maximum. Puritans were particularly contemptuous of Christmas, nicknaming it Fool's Tide and banning their flock from any celebration of it throughout the 17th and 18th centuries. On the 1st of December 25th, the settlers spent in Plymouth Colony. They worked in the fields as they would on any other day. The next year, a group of non-Puritan women caught celebrating Christmas with a game of stool ball, an early precursor to baseball, were punished by Governor William Bradford. He says, my conscience cannot let me play while everybody else is out working, he told them. So why did the Puritans, why didn't they like Christmas? So they had several reasons, including the fact that it did not originate as a Christian holiday. The upper classes in ancient Rome celebrated December 25th as the birthday of the sun god Mithra. The date fell right in the middle of Saturnalia, a month-long holiday dedicated to food, drink, and revelry, and Pope Julius I is said to have chosen the day to celebrate Christmas' birth as a way of co-opting the pagan rituals. Stop right here for a minute. I have an article in your homework that contends this, saying there's no record of that. 
I have another article from catholic.com or .org or whatever saying there is references to to the Pope Julius I from other church fathers. So like I said earlier, there's contradicting evidence here. We don't know. Okay. Continues. He says, beyond that, the Puritans considered it historically inaccurate to place the Messiah's arrival on December 25th. They thought Jesus had been born sometime in September. Puritans, you know, the people who stick to the Bible and only the Bible. Okay. Maybe they're, you know, that's just a fringe group, right? Well, there's kind of important to the founding of America. So their objections were theological, not exclusively. The main reason Puritans didn't like Christmas was that it was a raucous popular holiday in late medieval England. Each year, rich landowners would throw open their doors to the poor and give them food and drink as an act of charity. The poorest man in the parish was named Lord of Misrule, and the rich, as in chaos, read some of the links I've put in here for you today in your homework. And the rich would wait upon him at, at feast that often descended into bawdry drunkenness. Such decadence never impressed religious purit puritists. Men dishonor Christ more in the 12 days of Christmas, wrote the 16th century clergyman Hugh Latimer, than in all of the 12 months besides the 12 days of Christmas. Hold on to that, folks. That's pagan celebration there. Okay. So what they're saying, and also, um, if you'll read some of the other stories I've put in there for you about the pagan worship services or holiday season, whatever, it wasn't just drunkenness. This Lord of Misrule or whatever, he was encouraged to chase after all the women in the area as well. As, as things got a little, don't forget, you know, the, 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 the orgies of the Greeks and Romans. Yeah, things got a little carried away at these parties. So the Puritans are like, eh, that shouldn't have anything to do associated with you know, any type of, of worship or honoring of the Messiah. So they've got serious objections. And this does not quit there. When did that view win out? Ah, when did this win out? Okay, pay attention, folks. It's just, it's just a, a minor group of modern evangelicals, right? Puritans in the English Parliament eliminated Christmas as a national holiday in England in 1645 amid widespread anti-Christmas sentiments. Settlers in New England went even further, outlawing Christmas celebrations entirely in 1659. Anyone caught shirking their work duties or feasting when forced to pay a were forced to pay a significant penalty of five shillings. Christmas returned to England in 1660, but in New England, it remained banned until the 1680s, when the Crown managed to exert greater control over its subjects in Massachusetts. In 1686, the royal governor of the colony, Sir Edmund Andros, sponsored a Christmas Day service at the Boston townhouse. Fearing a violent backlash from Puritan settlers, Andros was flanked by redcoats as he prayed and sang Christmas hymns. Uh, that's how much the, the Puritans didn't like this. Did the Puritans finally relent? Not at all. They kept up their boycott of Christmas in Massachusetts for decades. Cotton Mather, New England's most influential religious leader, told his flock in 1712 that the feasts of Christian, uh, Christ's nativity is spent in revelry, dicing, carding, masking, and in licentious liberty, meaning sexual immorality, by bad mirth, by long eating, by hard drinking, by lewd gaming, by rude reveling. European settlers in other American colonies continued to celebrate it, however, as both a pious holiday and a time for revelry. In his Poor Richard's Almanac, 1739, 
Philadelphia and Benjamin Franklin wrote of Christmas, Oh, blessed season, loved by saints and sinners for long devotion or for longer dinners. Um, yeah, folks, um, this has got a long history. Continues. No, anti-Christmas sentiment flared up again around the time of American Revolution. Colonial New Englanders began to associate Christmas with royal officialdom and refused to mark it as a holiday. Even after the U.S. Constitution came into effect, the Senate assembled on Christmas Day in 1797, as did the House in 1802. It was only in the following decades that disdain for the holiday slowly ebbed away. Clement Clark Moore's poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas, a.k.a. Twas the Night Before Christmas, was published in New York in 1823 to enormous success. In 1836, Alabama became the first state to declare Christmas a public holiday, and other states soon followed suit. But New England remained defiantly Scrooge-like as late as 1850. Schools and markets remained open on Christmas Day. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow finally noted a transition state about Christmas in New England in 1856. The old Puritan feeling prevented it from being a cheerful, hearty holiday, though every year makes it more so, he wrote. Christmas Day was formally declared a federal holiday by President Ulysses S. Grant in 1870. So I, I'd hardly think that these people, the Puritans, and you know, the and it wasn't just the Puritans, Quakers are in, in this as well, you know, the pilgrims. So with the New Englanders coming over and slowly in, you know, invading and getting Christmas to become a party again, right? Well, if you are the northern kingdom of Israel, Ephraim then those debaucherous pagan Canaanites are going to be a thorn in your flesh forever, wherever you go. So wherever God's people, Yahweh's people go to try and get away from the worldly world and be set apart and worship him the way he asked to be worshiped, the pagans are going to come along and corrupt things. And this is the pattern you will see over and over and over again if you look for it in history. If you're not looking for it, you won't see it. If you look for it, right there in front of your face. Now, how many of you know the name Charles Spurgeon? Great Christian pastor, leader, the most prolific writer in Christian history, from what I understand. Wrote more about the Bible and the scriptures and the gospel than any other believer in history. Charles Spurgeon. He writes, okay, here's a here's his biography. Charles Spurgeon, Charles H. Haddon Spurgeon, um, June um, 1834 to January 1892, an English particular Baptist preacher. Um, Spurgeon remains highly influential among Christians of various denominations, to some of whom he is known as the Prince of Preachers. He was a strong figure in the Reformed Baptist traditions, defending the uh, 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith and opposing the liberal and pragmatic theological tendencies in the church of his day. This is in England. Those who follow the custom of observing Christmas follow not the Bible, but pagan ceremonies. That's C.H. Spurgeon. And then he says, we have no superstitious regard for times and seasons. Certainly, we do not believe in the present ecclesiastical arrangement called Christmas. First, because we do not believe in the mass at all, but abhor it, whether it be said or sung in Latin or English. And secondly, because we find no spiritual warrant no, no scriptural warrant, whatever, for observing any day as the birth of the Savior, and consequently, its observance is a superstition based not of divine authority. Superstition has fixed most positively the day of our Savior's birth, 
although there is no possibility of discovering it when it occurred. C.H. Spurgeon, that great man of Christ, shunned Christmas. I want to know something because I have heard a lot of good pastors, and I don't know about Dr. Dr. Heiser, but I bet you any money that the person who said only some minor fringes within the church have a problem with Christmas, I bet you he'd embrace Spurgeon. Any Protestant that rejects Spurgeon has a serious problem. Spurgeon's a pretty solid theologian. Here he is saying nay-nay to Christmas. Is he fringe? Okay, the point here is that is a ad hominem attack that, 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 that shouldn't have been worded that way. That does not lend toward a constructive conversation amongst believers and non-believers that might arrive at some sort of solution on this subject that will unite rather than divide. And in the end, point those who truly seek him back toward the Father in a way that the Father has defined as pleasing to him. We're going to cover that tomorrow in great detail. Worship Wednesday tomorrow is going to be a rough road for some of us. I hope you're going to be here. It's going to be worth it because it'll be all up in the scriptures tomorrow. So do some traditions, Christmas traditions, have pagan origins? The history of Christmas. I took the picture from gotquestions.org. Um, I think I even put the article in your homework for you too. I don't recommend this one today, um, but that's just me. Christmas tree and its pagan roots. Winter festivals, Saturnalia, Mithra, Nimrod, Tammuz. Tammuz. Oh, boy. One of the, you've heard us talk about return of the gods. Tammuz is one of the Babylonian gods. Tammuz is connected to Ishra. It's, it's Asterisk poles and Ishtar and Easter. Okay, why is that important? Well, one of the things that they did during the winter celebrations for, you know, the pagan winter celebrations of Saturnalia and whatever people would dress up. It's, it's, it's chaos day. So men would dress as women and women would dress as men. Sound it's sounding a little familiar here. Now that goes back to Tammuz and Easter Ishtar Easter, same goddess. Woo yeah. Cause you see, if you go back far enough, she's connected to the sun God. Woo yeah, 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 yeah. Your Christmas tree, astropoles, where they would carve a totem. Totem poles are connected. Yes, totem poles are connected to astro worship. Yes. So is the astro worship, you know, the the tall poles, you like the um the one that's out in front of the Vatican and and um the Washington Monument. Yeah, that that yep. That's all connected to pagan worship. Yep. And it doesn't matter if you put a gold cap on it and you say to God, God be the glory and, and then say, okay, well, this pagan worship symbol is now for Yahweh. That don't work with Yahweh. Cover that tomorrow. Yes, ma'am. Quick question. Yep. The obelisks, are those also Asherah poles or at least related? Related. Or is that kind of They're stretching related. it? They're related. Okay. Just double checking. Tall, tall, single column pillars. Yes. All right. Yep. It, it's all a fertility symbol. It, it's reminiscent of the phallus, folks. Come on. You know, fill in the blanks for me. All right. Then I found this. This, this is a Christian. This is Catholic apologetics. 
It says, is Christmas tree of pagan origin? And it says, no. St. Boniface, a Catholic priest who chopped down the big oak tree to stop the pagans worshiping it and introduced Christianity. Well, that story says that he replaced the oak tree with an evergreen. What? Yeah, well, that didn't do any good. You just replaced one tree with another. And then over here in Jeremiah 10, three through four, he says, the religion of these people is worthless. A tree is cut down in the forest. It is carved by the tool of the woodmaker and decorated with silver and gold. It is fastened down with nails and kept from falling over. And it's in the house and everything. He says, it's a, they say it's a common verse used by heretics as their objection against the Christmas tree. Well, in this case, the Catholic Church is correct. And we will address this in detail tomorrow. That is a misapplication of that verse. But they're not heretics. In this case, the Catholic Church would be a heretic because that Christmas tree is most definitely rooted in pagan origins. And I started digging into this hard. This is from Crosswalk. This is a Christian online magazine. Is the Christmas tree pagan in origin? She asks, and this is by Heather Riggleman, December 4, 2023. Does this mean the Christmas tree is rooted in pagan origin? Christmas trees do have a pagan origin. The, uh, what? Yes, she's admitting it. Okay, let's put this up. Crosswalk.com right there. This is a Christian magazine. You can go to it. This is in your homework right down here, right where I highlighted it for us. She's admitting she did the work. It's pagan in origin. It says the earliest recording of the Christmas tree goes back to the European pagans during the Saturn festival, Saturnalia, where they would use branches of evergreen fir trees to brighten the space with color to compensate for the dull winter colors. It was believed that evergreens would keep away illness, witches, ghosts, and evil spirits. Evergreens also reminded them of the green plants that would grow again when summer returned because of the strength of the sun god. Centuries later, the Germans will take it up. There's a lot of people who say that um, Luther did this, and he was the first one to bring the Martin Luther brought the tree in and decorated it with candles. The story is because he was impressed with the stars coming down through the, the fir trees in Germany. Well, there's stories about that that go even back farther than Martin Luther. The Christmas tree is firmly rooted in pagan history. That is something that the Christians just adopted. We're going to see tomorrow how that can get you killed by God, by Yahweh. Uh, the only reason it doesn't happen today is because you're under grace. And that doesn't mean grace does not mean he approved it. Grace means he, he deals with you differently. We'll deal with that tomorrow. I told you we'd return to this picture. Oh boy, are there problems with this picture? One, the angels. Let's look at them. Female. No angel that I'm aware of in the Bible is ever, ever described as being female. Not one. This is not racism or sexism. They're just never remember. Females are unique in God's creation. They came from man. Ladies, that doesn't make you lesser. That makes you special. Okay. You're unique. The angels are in the image of Yahweh as well as man in the image of Yahweh. All of the angels in the scriptures are described as men. They're never described as having wings. Only the cherubim have wings. Those are throne guardians. Normal angels appear as just men, not children either. And then you see the halos. You will not find the halo in your Bible. The halo is an imagery of the sun disk. That's sun god worship. Yep. So you've got pagan imagery right there in the nativity scene. And whenever the, the sun god in ancient times was often seen with that halo around his head or the rays coming out of the head. 
that's an imagery of the sun god. That goes back to Ra. It goes back to Baal because a lot of the bulls from ancient times, the idols we they we have found, the bull with the two horns and the sun disc between the horns. Folks, this is this goes back to Norscott. This is all sun god worship. Those halos are not found in your Bible. So be careful with this stuff, please. I beg you, if you call yourself Christian, be careful with this stuff. Then you have this, and this is true too. I've uh, comment on the board from Marianne. Egyptians, Vikings, and Buddhists all use evergreens. Lots of people use evergreens, Marianne. So mistletoe, pagan fertility ritual, tree decorations, lights and baubles are Roman Saturnalia tradition. Gifts, that's a Babylonian tradition. It carries on today. When uh, when we were attacked in 9-11, all of the Arabs were running around giving each other gifts. Um, Jesus is not the reason for the season. It's most like he's most likely born in September. Lots of people know this. Um, this is uh, dropped wholesale over the Roman festival of Saturnalia, or at least a lot of people believe so. The Yule log, symbolic of Mithra's god of the sun. Uh, this goes back to Nor. Um, actually, they say it's Viking origin, but it's actually, from what I understand, it seems to be German in origin. The tree, the pagan fertility symbol. Yep, there's your astral pole. The angel, derived from Greek and Assyrian gods. Not the fact that an angel being a messenger, but the image of the angel is derived from pagan god worship. And then we're going to go to some other things. We're going to look at this. Here's some other things that very well seem to be connected to pagan worship that are in your, and you can read through this and decide for yourself. But 16 pagan uh, Christian traditions that people mistakenly credit to Christianity. Your 12 days of Christmas. Remember the Puritans were saying that that's pagan in origin. Well, yeah, I've found three or four or five independent sources all saying, yes, the 12 days of Christmas originated from the numerous pagan festivals once celebrated around midwinter. So, yep, that one seems to be true. Christmas feasting and overindulgence was, and was a hangover from pagan midwin midwinter celebrations. That definitely seems to go back, not just midwinter, but Saturnalia. Uh, 14, the original Christmas carols were not Christmas hymns. They were pagan seasonal songs to drive away evil. That seems to be connected to um, Halloween as well. So from my research on this, I agree with that too. What you did is you replaced it with Christmas carols to make it seem Christian. Still a problem, Christians. Um, 13, deck the halls with greenery was a sign of life during the dead of winter. Balls of holly, yes, that's rebirth of the sun god and coming of winter. And the gifts are to bring the, the spring gods back and make sure that they don't leave you in the dead of winter. And this is all enticing because originally the tree was decorated, uh, the oak trees were decorated with fruit and, and uh, gifts of food to the gods to make sure that you kept them alive and that came back and you'd have spring and then spring harvests, et cetera, et cetera. Twelve Christmas trees were an extension of this tradition of life amongst the dead of winter. Yep, that and their fertility symbols. Christmas wreaths are one of uh, one form of Christmas greenery that celebrates the wheel of life, and it was also used a lot in Saturnalia. I found that out as well. Holly was a symbol of the pagan king of winter, not the blood of Christ. You know, Christians have said it's symbol. No, this is connected to. Uh, remember, I told you they would they would have the Christmas king in each little celebration and. That, that king would give all sorts of uh, chaos, chaotic um, orders and chase after the women and everything. We just read about that. The, the, not Mithras, but Misrule or something. Yeah, Misrule. God of Misrule or whatever. King of Misrule. That's, this is pagan. He would be crowned in a holly. Um, 
um, crown. So yeah, that's connected to that. I know that for sure. Ivy was partnership plan of Holly. So it's a substitute. Um, but that tends to be a symbol of death for some reason. Mistletoe was an ancient symbol of peace, reconciliation, and love. The idea of kissing under the mistletoe that's connected to that, uh, this, uh, you know, stuff you're not supposed to be doing during these celebrations. Not, you know, it's not a Christian, Christian thing for women to be running around kissing strange men and vice versa. The Yule log was lit to celebrate the rebirth of the sun and to keep fires burning while people partied. Um, that seems to be fairly common understanding there. Candles were lit to imitate the sun and ward off evil. And that's true. That goes back to Saturnalia. The gifts, uh, giving of gifts and Christmas has nothing to do with the three wise men. That's a, that's a Babylonian tradition that I know for a fact. I've researched that in other areas. The Lord of Misrule, I, I was telling you about him. He's a popular figure in the Middle Ages. However, he was a blatant hangover from Saturnalia and he'd be crowned usually in uh, a crown of ivy, um, uh, holly rather. Father Christmas or Santa Claus started life as a pagan god. Um, you can research that there's this one here, Santa Claus. There's no way of knowing where that started. The, the supposed Christian, um, you know, St. Nicholas or whatever. I know he ran around, he, he was inherited a lot of money and he gave it away and he served the poor and he dedicated his life to that. And he was jailed for his, his, um, philanthropy and taking care of people. But he also had a, from what I understand, he had a nasty habit of, if he thought you were a heretic, he'd pop you in the mouth. You know, he'd run around, deck you. So, yeah, that that guy's got his own history going on there. And you'll have to look into that on your own because Santa Claus is a convoluted tradition. And then the, the New Year celebrations were so pagan that the Council of Tours banned them. This is true. New Year's is soundly a pagan holiday, even today. And Christmas Day was the date of rebirth of the sun before it was the birth of the son of God. And that, that we were able to ascertain as being true. Okay. Um, the one other thing I had for you here, and you can go through it if you want later, but what we're going to do here real quick, this is a slide presentation that I found and I stuck it in your homework for you. I don't necessarily agree with everything that's in this, but a lot of it I do. The winter solstice is good information. Uh, Mithra, the sun God, uh, Mithras, the sun God with Rome. That's good information. Goes over some of the problems you have with the birth date of Jesus. Some of this is decent. I like this. It's not bad. Um, this is the purification periods and everything in the day of atonement. And it goes over stuff, the, the Hebrew Jewish calendar, the birth dates of Yeshua, Jesus. And it goes over some of the stuff dealing with, um, if you're not really knowledgeable of the, of the law of Moses, this will help you a lot. And, uh, it goes over when he most likely was born. And then it tells you about the Catholic, you know, feasts of immaculate conception and the Holy nativity. And, the, and then it goes over the Council of Nicaea and how it gets involved. This is Constantine's stuff. And yeah, the dates for Constantine, yeah, he was probably involved in setting Christmas and a few other, excuse me, a few other things. Some of the anti-Catholic bias within the Protestant church is in, has crept into this slideshow, but it's still, as long as you filter that out, because I don't like attacking Catholic, I don't li I like attacking anybody who claims the Lord's name. I don't like that. That, that's not my thing, but that doesn't mean that the, the, the structure under which you are, I, I have no problem with the Catholic. I have a problem with the Roman Catholic church. Hopefully that makes sense. I have no problem with the Baptist. I have a problem with a lot of Baptist teachings. I have no problem with the Lutheran. I have a problem with Lutheran teachings that type of way. 
So the wise men, it goes over that and a few other things in here. And then eventually it will get into um, the origin of the Christmas tree. Um, it'll get into St. Nicholas. It'll get into the Yule log and wreaths and holly and mistletoe. It gives you detailed descriptions of those. And then it goes into its conclusions. It's a good slideshow. Otherwise, I wouldn't have put it in your homework for you. You do what you want with it. You may not review any of this stuff. Also, real quick, before we get out of all of this, Dr. Michael Heiser, Christmas of Pagan Celebration, what you know may not be so. This is a case where I would have to differ with Dr. Heiser. He's wrong. Christian Christmas and such and the Naked Bible podcast, he goes over all of that. And then he goes over the date when Jesus was born. This is actually the date when he's born in this video. Those are both very good. I'm very sympathetic to the way Dr. Heiser sees that. Then down here, your PDF is about this whole debate. And then the truth about Christmas, that's the slide presentation I put in there for you. So you can go over those in your own leisure if you want. You can research this on your own. Um, the only thing I'm going to ask you not to do, don't take my word for any of this. You need to research this for yourself. That's important that you prove to yourself one way or the other what you're going to do with this information, what you make of it, and how you react to it. But back to our slideshow real quick. The next one is to be continued. Tune in tomorrow, Wednesday, December 20th, 2023. Well, this is going to fairly much conclude your. That's the end of the class, you know, outline that I had for you today. But let me let me sum some of this up. What do we know? We know that the solstice, the winter solstice, is, is it, it's central to pagan worship around the world and has been since. It goes back to, it, it's mentioned in the Bible. There's there's mentions to it. If you know what you're looking at, there's indirect mentions to that in the Bible. Um, it's a pagan holy month, okay? Just straight up is. Always has been. Forever and ever, amen. Because it's connected to sun worship. Christmas comes along. The church knew darn well that Christ was either born in the spring or most likely the fall. Every source I found in my research that seems to be looking to the scriptures and to Yahweh and his son, the Messiah, puts him in the fall, maybe the spring, but nobody puts it in December. The Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church, one of them Catholics say conception December 8th, Eastern Orthodox January 6th, both of them put that, that conception in the winter birth in the fall. So why did the Roman Catholic Church choose December 25th, which the Eastern Orthodox did not agree with at first? And in some places right now today, the Eastern Orthodox, which was the, the Eastern Roman Catholic, uh, Church, the East, you know, it was a Catholic Church of Antioch in that area up there, the Byzantine Empire, they still, in a lot of places, they still do not recognize Christmas. Okay, and they're not American evangels, evangelics like that one article we read. They're Eastern Orthodox, and they don't recognize Christmas for this reason, because they know he's born in September somewhere or in the fall. So we know this. The most, the best conclusion, the best conclusion we can draw based on the evidence available and the practices of the church in the future from that date, from the fourth century forward, is that the church just put Christmas there to combat pagan rituals, pagan holidays. That's the best conclusion. That's not, none of this is scripturally based. None of this is scripturally authorized. None of this is mentioned in scripture. None of it, none of it. We're going to cover a lot of this in detail tomorrow. 
And then a lot of your holidays, uh, traditions, Christmas traditions, your tree, lighting the tree, decorating the tree, the Yule log, you know, your fires, your giving of gifts, um, the holly, the mistletoe, the ivy, um, the 12 days of Christmas, Christmas caroling, all of this stuff. It's all thoroughly pagan. I know it is. I've researched this real hard before my family and I made the decision to just be done with Christmas. That was me. That's me. I still miss the lights. I do. I loved the Christmas tree. But I'm seeking something other than that. And I will discuss that with you in detail tomorrow. Um, Tomorrow's Worship Wednesday. We're going to go over what scripture has to say about blending pagan practices with worship of Yahweh. And in case you need a, a little preview, it ain't pretty. Okay. It gets messy for the people who do that quick. And for those who think, well, grace superseded that. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. It's one of the reasons that people misunderstand Paul is because Paul knows that that didn't change. That's not what changed. Um, The cross didn't change Yahweh's ways of doing things. It changed Yahweh's ways of looking at you and how he treats you. And that's clearly defined in scripture. We'll touch on that tomorrow. But um, I'm not one of these ones who's going to peg and bash you. You know, if you're going to keep Christmas, okay, that's on you, man. It's okay, cool. I'm not one of the ones who's not going to enter your house because you've got a Christmas tree. I, I'm not going to go nuts like that because scripture teaches me there's no way for me to live in this world and avoid things that have nothing to do with Yahweh. And that's basically what pagan means. Pagan means of the field. In other words, you, you don't worship Yahweh. Gentile. Okay. It's not, I'm not using it as a pejorative. Okay. Pagans call themselves pagans. If you don't use it as an insult, it should not be taken as an insult. And I'm not trying to use it that way. I'm trying to use it as an identifier properly in the way it's supposed to be used. So if you're not worshiping Yahweh, pagan, unless you're an atheist, okay? So they use the word, and they have got practices that have been incorporated by Yahweh's people since the beginning. And that doesn't turn out well in the Old or the New Testament. But because we read the New Testament wrong with blinders that have been tainted by the teachings and traditions of men, we miss it. And this is why the church largely misses the indications in the Bible about when the Messiah was most likely born, or at least the season. Also, you're going to find out there's only two celebrations of a birthday mentioned in the Bible. Pharaoh and Herod, and neither of those were good things because those two men were worshiping themselves. One of them cost John the Baptist his life because Herod's daughter or daughter-in-law was dancing lewdly, and he got all excited, and he promised her up to half his kingdom, and she, you know, mama says, well, have him bring me the head of John the Baptist. And it was probably his niece because he was married to his brother's wife. So it was probably his niece. So you've got really immoral sexual actions going on there that lead to the death of John the Baptist directly. And that's in connection with a birthday celebration. And then go read about 
what's going on with Pharaoh and his birthday celebration. See how that worked out. We'll, we'll discuss this tomorrow. So where we're at right now, unless there's a question on the board, unless we've got anything, we'll just wrap for today. Okay, we got a comment on the board from Marion. It says, Viking Yule Log was lit to stay warm until the longer day could would come, or so I was told by one of Wiccan co-workers. Eh, maybe. That's also connected to Odin and uh, to to bringing back the, the, the spring and the sun in the spring. But the Yule Log actually goes back to Germany. That I know for a fact that it, it goes back before the Vikings. And what connects all of them is not the fact that they're all living in Europe. What connects all of them is your Vikings, you know, they're connected to the Saxons, Saxons, Isaac. That's, that's a derivative of the word Isaac, as in the tribe of Isaac, which is the Northern kingdom. Well, they came up through Germany and that's Gomer more than likely the tribe of Gomer. Yeah. These people are all connected through the Northern kingdom and the Druids. So, and the Druids come up into this Druids. That's where your tree comes from. That's where your tree worship comes from. The Druids. And we've traced this in Halloween, and a lot of people will tell you I'm off base. Well, they're not looking at this from a biblical perspective. They throw the Bible out the window, and then they go strictly from archaeology. Why would you throw away the oldest, so far, best, most accurate ancient history book known to man? It's never been proven wrong, and it has affirmed things. Every time it's tested, it's affirmed. Why would you toss it? But it would suggest to you that a lot of this tree worship, the Druids and the keepers of oral traditions which is the pharisees that that's kabbalism and all this stuff this this goes back to ancient israel folks all of this connects back to ancient israel so that's why a lot of this stuff is not all it, it changes in its form but in it in at the ground at the foundation it hasn't changed this is all the same stuff and we'll cover this tomorrow uh, road dog you need to rewatch this class brother he just chimed in said he missed class um, and Natasha will probably put you in detention. And I don't know how long you're going to stay there because she's in an honorary mood. So she's probably going to be smacking you with the ruler the whole time you're there. Uh, who are the Druze people? The Druze or the Druids? Um, I don't know. Could you clarify that that for me there? Clay's at, Clay Tolar is asking, who are the Druze? D-R-U-Z-E. I th think they're two different people, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'll have to look into that. Because if they're the same, I know who the Druids are, but I don't know about the Druze. I've, I've, I think I've run across that. All right, Clay Tolar says Druze. Don't know offhand, Clay. The name sounds familiar? Sorry, don't know offhand. I'll have to look into that for you, brother. Good question. Um, anyhow, let's wrap this up for today. Uh, we love y'all. We do. Trust me. I put a lot of work into this one for you. Um, if I didn't care about the subject and teaching it as accurately as I can, as even-handedly as I can, trying not to offend anybody. But if I do, that's because you wanted to be offended. I'm telling you, man, it's, it, this can't be handled any better. Um, it's because of love, an agape love for everybody. But, you know, you're our friends, especially those of you in the class. Those who don't want to participate, there's no problem there. We get that. We understand. Some of you can't. You're working or you're just listening or whatever. We got that. But we love the class participation because y'all are becoming a family. And I like that. That's what I've been after the whole time we started this show. Y'all become friends. So we appreciate you being here. We hope we served you today. We hope this helped. Hopefully it puts a clarification on things for you. Your show notes will at least give you a base to go to if you need to tra you know, track anything down, look into it. Um, if you've got time, go through it. 
Um, you're going to find there's a lot more information in there than what I covered today. You'll also learn just how confusing this mess was for me. Um, it was difficult to pull this all together for you, but I think I gave you what is the most definitive rule on this that anybody can give you. And any Christian who's going to claim that, well, you know, it's all for Christ. We pointed it at Christ. Be here tomorrow. Be here tomorrow. You might change your tune on that. I had to. I, I was forced with, okay, either the teachings of men or the scriptures. <laughs> Easy choice for me. Scriptures. Rule book every day. But we'll cover that tomorrow. If you like what we're doing, please hit the thumbs up or the like buttons. That's mostly to talk to uh, Charlie and, and Natasha and I and let us know we're doing a good job with the show. If you like the show itself, please subscribe on Rumble. That way you'll always be able to get a hold of us or at least, you know, join the Facebook page, go to the road to Concord on Facebook, join the page, like it, you know, share the show with whoever you think might benefit from it. Warn them about me. I know I'm an acquired taste. We joke about black wasabi coffee with Tabasco sauce seasoning, but I know I rub people the wrong way until they get to know me. I, I, I know that I'm aware of that. So tell them whatever you want, but all I ask is you stress the show and the content of the show and what we're trying to cover with people. And, um, Hey man, if you've got constructive criticism for me for how I might be able to do better, email me Joe at the road to concord.com. I've actually been keeping up with my email. Ask Marianne. I've been doing fairly decent. Um, otherwise, you know, we're going to be here tomorrow. Charlie will be back. We'll cover scripture stuff. Road to Concord says, uh, stick around and you'll develop an iron gut. <laughs> yeah. We saw me black coffee with Tabasco and habanero sauce. All right. Y'all take care of yourselves. Stay safe. We'll see you tomorrow. Charlie will be back. Um, and then Thursday, we're going to have drunken donuts in a wild show revelry that the Puritans would disapprove of. And then on Friday, we'll wrap up our little short series on taking logic to the, uh, to the Hebrew roots movement. And we'll be looking at scriptural. It, it is a logic class. Scripture is just the illustration, but we're going to look at some of the, the debates there. Um, it's a lot like what we're doing here today. And we'll wrap all of that up and we'll, we'll tell you when we'll be back and everything. We'll do a, a wrap up show. Friday's the last show of the year, but we should have replays for you next week. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Y'all stay safe, take care, and we thank you for being here. Bye-bye.